so my name's Nick. I'm happy to bring you God's word this morning. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 11 of Luke chapter 5. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. We'll get one to you. Um, so Luke, so Matthew, Mark, Luke in the New Testament. And then chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 uh, down through verse 11. It's, it's an amazing story. I uh, trust you guys will, will be blessed this morning as we reflect on it. Are we there? Are we ready? No. Look at that. An honest man out there. <laughs> at least you're trying hard. You know, most everybody else isn't there, but they're, they're not even that into it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Let's, let's read, and, and, uh, and then I'll pray and, and get into it. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, on Jesus, to hear the word of God, He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, you got to love this. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. Verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray, guys. God, we we are so uh, we're so troubled when all the things we're laboring for come to nothing. And yet, we are so blessed when you do that for us. When you show us that um, we are desperate for you. That we're not self-sufficient, self-sustaining. We're not self-made men and women. But that we need you in every realm of our lives. Not just when we sit in the pews, but when we sit on our couches, when we sit in our offices, when we sit in our cubicles. When we're in fishing boats, we need your word. We need you to make us uh, successful. We need you to cause the growth. We need you, God, to bless or, or we perish. So Lord, I pray that today you would come and If need be, stop us in our tracks. 
Stop us in all of our labors, all of our pursuits. And get a hold of our hearts again. Let us see the glory of your presence. Let us awaken to the glory of your grace. It's for us, not against us. The power that you use for our good. God, would you, uh, through this sermon, through our reflection on this text, would you catch us so that we might, with you, be um, catching men? God, you know I need, I need your help. You know, uh, just honestly, that I, I need you to keep me focused, leading worship and things. It's not always easy for me to do all this, and so I pray, God, don't let these people suffer on my behalf. I pray that you would lead us through this well, that you would speak. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, okay, I actually wanted to start with uh, a little bit of Christmas trivia. And I'm looking for Chris Keener. He's not in here. He must be in the back. He's probably the only guy who knows the answer to this question. He's a big carols guy. I want to begin with some real quick Christmas trivia. I want to know who can shout out or even sing out the uh, third stanza to the carol. Yeah, exactly. You hear that? You know this, right? Most carols, you know the first one. They're all hard to sing, and they all have tons of lyrics. They're amazing, but nobody knows it past the first. So, Joy to the World, third stanza. Anybody know it? I mean, I wouldn't have known this. I couldn't even tell you the first. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let the earth... Yeah, okay, well... That's the first. Now, you move it on to the third, you move it on to the third, and I'll give you the first gift of Christmas. No? Okay. Here, let me, let me read this to you guys. Let me, let me read this. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to spare you that because, I mean, I sing, but carols are hard. Have you ever tried to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing? There's like one person, like in all the world, that can actually hit those notes. Um, actually, angels probably, right? <laughs> Here's what, here's what the third, third stanza is, to joy to the world. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor, th- nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Did you hear that? That is actually what this text and all of Luke, really up to this point especially, is about. That Jesus has come to reverse the effects of the fall and to undo, to remove the curse that rests upon mankind because of our sin. He's come, in other words, to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Now, let me show you this. Let me, uh, you might not be tracking with me yet. Let me help you with this. How far is the curse found? If his blessings are flowing as far as the curse is found, how far does the curse go? And where do we see it in Luke? And why am I talking about that in regards to this text? Well, let me show you. The curse, Genesis 3, after men had turned on God, touched what? Childbirth, right? It touches childbirth. If it, 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 um, the curse is found there. It makes childbirth a painful thing, a hard, a difficult thing. My poor wife's about to go through this, and it's going to be hard. I know it, because we've had two others. And this is why 
This is why when, when we start to see Jesus come on the scene and his blessings are going to flow as far as the curse is found, what, what do we see in the opening uh, chapters of Luke? But barren wombs just bursting forth with life. That's Luke 1, 13 and Elizabeth, right? Blessings flow in there. How, how, where else is the curse found? The curse touches the bodies of men and women. Does it not? That we're kind of like since the fall and the curse, we're, we're now on kind of this slippery slope uh, back down to the dust from which we were created. God says, Look, you, you're going to die. You're going to get sick someday. Sorry, I feel like I'm... Am I too close, Donald? We all right? Is it me? Okay, it's me. It's not you, it's me. Better? Okay. Um, we're on this slippery slope down. To the dust from which we were created. There's, we're going to deal with sickness. We're going to deal with death. And then, so what do we see as, as Jesus is moving his blessing onward? As far as the curse is found. Well, we just got done with this stuff in Luke 4. And we're not even close to, to being done with all the stories that are going to uh, deal with this. But we're watching him just healing all that are brought to him, all the sick, all the dying, he just with a word or with a touch is restoring life. He's, he's removing the curse, as it were. He's showing that this is what he has come to do. Well, guess what? The curse is also found as far as our vocations and our work, our labor, the work of our hands, fishermen in our text. You remember Genesis 3 where God talks about the work that men are going to do and women in general as well. He says, he says this, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it's going to bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. It's going to be hard. The dirt, the ground's going to fight back. The earth that was once just kind of teeming and overflowing and man just got to participate in this kind of, this amazing chorus of life, that, that, that is now going to kind of push back on you a little bit to remind you you're not right with God. Something's not right here. What do we see in Luke's gospel here? Well, the curse is found in our work, in our labor, in, in, in our office space. And Christ Walks out there and now, all of a sudden, what do we have? Guys who were laboring through the night. Fishermen laboring through the night. And came up with nothing. Probably grumbling on the shore. Like, I can't believe we got nothing to show our wives. We got nothing to buy food to feed our kids. It, it's just, it, what is up with this fallen world? Well, guess what? Jesus shows up, walks into there, says a word. And their nets are just breaking. And, and their boats are just sinking. He's come, he's come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Now, I want this morning to organize my thoughts under two main headings. Um, first, Jesus intrudes on our vocation. He intrudes on our vocation, verses 1 through 7. He's going to get somewhere where these guys don't think he necessarily belongs at first. We'll see that. And then second, Jesus includes us in his mission. And that's going to be verses 8 through 11. So he intrudes on our vocation and he includes us in his mission. So first, he intrudes on our vocation, verses 1 through 7. 
essentially the text is just going to kind of be my my outline. I know that the handouts maybe are helpful to help you grab a hold of things. So we're just going to make our way through the text. But before I get in, um, let me at least say this. Though we desperately need Jesus um, to renew and speak into our work, uh, our vocation, oftentimes is it not true that we, we actually kind of exclude him from it? Um, we kind of think that he doesn't belong there. Um, we, we, we understand that, that, hey, Jesus is going to do his redemptive work kind of thing on Sunday mornings or on the Sabbath day or, you know, when we're gathered in church, but we don't often look or listen or, or, or wait on him, uh, to speak in our nine to five. Whatever our vocation may be, whether we're, you know, businessmen, engineers, or we're mothers, housewives, students, whatever it is, we, we often kind of segregate our lives in that way. Came at church, Jesus, do your redemption thing. But then I'm going to go into my week and I'm going to do my work thing, my vocation thing. But as a result, when Jesus first presses into our vocations, when he first presses into our nine to five, our Monday to Friday, what what we initially feel like is like he's intruding upon us. He's intruding upon us. He's going someplace he doesn't belong, but he's not actually intruding. He's come to redeem. <laughs> he's come to redeem. Now, we uh, begin in our text with the crowds, and we read it there in verse 1. They're pressing in on him to hear the word of God. And this is great. It sounds great. Jesus is almost like reached celebrity status around Galilee. It's wonderful, we think. Uh, but it's actually, there's kind of this like hidden kind of aggression. Actually, in the Greek, there's kind of this aggression to that word pressing in. It's like they're getting kind of forceful. And that's why, if we look at where the story goes from there, Jesus actually says, i got to get in a boat. I gotta get some water between me and these people because they are coming at me. It's gonna be the end for me. So let me get a little space in between me and them and then I can start to minister. Then they can hear the word of God. And we, we read that there in verse three. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, what is Jesus doing in a boat? <laughs> Hang with me on this. Christ's move into the fishing boat is the first hint in our narrative uh, at this kind of intrusion that I'm talking about. The intrusion into our vocation. He's coming where these guys are and he's getting into the boats that they work. He's actually taking the same posture he took back in the synagogue in Nazareth. So in a synagogue where worship happens, where teaching and religious devotion stuff happens, he sat down, if you recall, and he taught the word. Well, what do we see he's doing in this boat? He gets into now this boat and he's sitting down, taking the same posture and teaching them the word. Now we're not in a synagogue. We're not in a place of worship. Now suddenly we're actually in a place of labor and blood, sweat and tears and fish guts. He's in the midst of the mess with these guys where they, where they live their life nine to five or for them, um, mid, whatever it is, eight p.m. to eight a.m. Seems like what these guys were doing. So in our text, suddenly the boat becomes the pulpit. Suddenly, the place of work becomes the place of the word. 
suddenly what we see is that Jesus is intruding on our vocation. And he starts to show, hey, I've got something to say to you there too. I mean, it's not just kind of check out of your religious thing after you've done maybe your devotions in the morning and then go to work. It's, I've got something to say to you in the midst of your work and you need my words. Or it's just going to be an exercise in vanity, futility, in all of your labor. Now, this hint that I'm talking about at an intrusion um, actually becomes a little bit more obvious in, I feel like I'm still making a noise for you guys. I'm sorry. I'm going to lower it. I've got a lot of hot air coming out of me. That's not good. Um, so it becomes obvious in what follows. There's, there's no doubt about what Jesus is after here. Because here's what we see. As the grand finale to his sermon. Now hang with me. Jesus the carpenter, the rabbi, the preacher, begins to instruct professional fishermen on the art of fishing. You catch what he's doing there? He knows what he's, he knows what he's doing. He's coming right where these guys work and saying, listen, let me tell you how it's done. Here's the command that he ushers um, from the boat after he finishes. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, verse 4, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Jesus knows these fishermen had toiled all night. He's, he's not confused. He knows what he's doing. He's putting these gentlemen to the test. He's essentially getting in their face and saying, okay, wait a minute. Does my word have authority and power, not just on Sabbath days, but on your work days, in your workplace? That's a good question for us to ask as well. But Peter, as we follow the story, both fails and passes the test. Both fails and passes the test, I think, because what we see is that there's kind of this slight objection at first. There's this slight objection to uh, Jesus' command, like we would assume. He, he, says, he says, Master, listen, we toiled all night and we took nothing. We toiled all night and took nothing. Now, Peter's going to get to obedience, but it's like before he gets to obedience, he's got to let Jesus know, I think what you're saying is ridiculous. This is illogical. We were, we were toiling all night long. That's the time when fishermen fish, Jesus. You want me to tell you how it's done? Fishermen fish at night. I guess that's when the fish bite. And also then we have our fish to sell in the marketplace that day. Well, Jesus goes, how's that going for you? <laughs> how's that going for you? But there's an objection. There's an objection from Peter at first. Um, let me try to illustrate what I think uh, Peter may be feeling at, at this uh, moment. So I am a pastor, right? You're like, oh yeah, of course. Uh, here you are. Uh, I have studied the Bible. I know the Bible. I love the Bible. I mean, I'm still learning. Don't get me wrong, but that's kind of where I focus. That's what I know. I have no idea. I'm in Silicon Valley. I have no idea what a microchip even is, how it works, what it does. No idea. I talked to some guys in my home group, and they do, you know, stuff with chips, okay? I remember, when I first had this conversation with them, I kid you not, I was thinking, the only chips I know are chips that end in Edo's, right? <laughs> like, I mean, there's actually a surprising number of these. And they're all, they're all the good ones end in Edo's. Cheetos, Fritos, Doritos, Tazitos, it keeps going. <laughs> and I'm going, I, I don't know anything about chips, microchips. Uh, and then they start talking to me about semiconductors. Anybody know what a semiconductor is if you're not an engineer? I'm going, okay. Literally, I'm thinking, I, I know what a conductor is. 
They drive trains, right? That's what a conductor does. So a semiconductor must be a guy who kind of, he, he's kind of half in on driving the train. I don't know. You know, that's where I'm at. But I don't know anything about, uh, see, I don't even know what category he falls in. What, computer engineering? I don't know anything about this. That, that, that's their vocation. That's their field of study. That's their trade. How ridiculous would it be for me to kind of walk into their office and go, hey guys, listen, I'm your pastor. Let me tell you how to make a chip. Let me tell you how to make, you know, how to design this next whatever. It's silly, right? You can see why Peter would be sitting there going, wait a minute. I mean, I'm the one. This is my trade. This is where I work. I mean, you stick to your synagogue thing. You stick to your Sabbath thing. You stick to your teaching and your healing thing. But you leave the fishing to me. That's my, that's my office. That's my specialty. But in the end, to Peter's credit, he does obey. He does obey. He said, I might not understand it. I might not even agree with it. But hey, you know what? Master, you're, 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 you seem to know something. I'll, I'll follow you anyways. Let's do this. He probably half expected to, you know, Jesus to be embarrassed. He's probably trying to save him the embarrassment in front of the crowds. But instead, Peter's astonished. He's astonished at the fact that Jesus' word has authority, has power, even in his place of specialty, his profession. He needs Jesus' word to be effective there. You hear that? Now, let me read to you um, how one commentator sums up this whole scene. I think this is, this is great. It's a, it's a little long, but I think, I think it's great. I want you to hear it. Religion is a curse. That is, when it means the admitting of God into one department of life, while every other door is labeled secular and bolted against Him. In other words, sometimes in our religion we could say, you can have Sundays, but every other door is shut and bolted against Him. That's not your turf. That's not your terrain. That's mine. Such religion Jesus now repudiates. As long as Simon's boat is being used for a pulpit, the owner has no objection to Jesus' saying in it whatever he likes. But when it reverts to being a fishing boat, in other words, when Jesus starts to tell Peter how to fish, it is Simon's once again. And Jesus no longer has a say in how it is to be used. Fishing is Simon's job. In the same way, people will listen to Jesus, they will consider what he says, and will even ask him to make them better when they are sick. But for him to interfere in their job, their home, their leisure, that is another thing altogether. Those matters have nothing, surely, to do with religion. So Jesus, the carpenter, turned preacher, tells Simon, the fisherman, how to fish. And we may guess the tone of Simon's answer and imagine the expression on his face. Yet the word of power comes from Jesus, shows us that Jesus knows even more about Simon's job than Simon does himself. Now, let me read this last bit and close it here. Many would have to admit that it is at this point that the word of Jesus comes home to them, literally, because it invades the privacy of their own workday life. Instead of staying respectably in a Sunday church service where it belongs, 
to learn from Jesus that they should be acknowledging his father's daily gifts of sun and rain, food and clothing, life and breath, his own lordship over all creation and his Holy Spirit's work of sanctifying every part of their being. This is a new and convicting thought and perhaps the beginning of the gospel's effective entrance into their hearts. And for us to whom it is no new thought but a reminder It may sometimes be equally necessary and equally convicting. That was long. I hope I didn't lose you. Do you hear what he's saying? We can kind of segregate our lives. And Jesus is going to intrude because he wants to redeem. Because he wants to, he's come to remove the curse as far as it's found. And it's found in our work and we forget. We forget that we actually need him to cause the growth, not just on the mission field. Yes, on the mission field, but even in everything that we put our hands to do. If we don't have him, we can't do it effectively. So we get, we got to ask ourselves, do we do this? Do we slam and bolt the door that the commentator mentions here? Do we keep Jesus out of our nine to five? Or are we conversing? Are we ever praying? Are we ever waiting? Are we looking to his word? Looking, I want you, I need you, Jesus, to speak. Or it's not going to go well for me. Not just at church and in my ministry, but in my vocation. He wants us to talk with him about our board meetings. He wants to carry the burden of your board meeting and what's going to be decided and where the company's going to go. Jesus wants you to talk with him about the annual review that your supervisor's going to have and you're freaking out about it because you feel like you've done a poor job. Who was it? Was it Daniel or Nehemiah who, when he's going into the king, it says that he prays essentially for favor in that moment. He knows God cares about my vocation. He cares about my vocation. I'm going to talk to him in the middle of it. Let me, let me ask you, I mean, if you're stuck in math homework, you're, you're a student, you're stuck. You think Jesus cares? You think he can give you breakthrough? I think this text says, yeah, talk to him about it. Or if you're a new mom and your baby won't sleep through the night, still, Jesus cares. He wants in. He wants to help. He wants to renew. He wants to redeem, even there. So we learn from this text that the decisive factor in our success is not our effort. It's not. For these fishermen, they toiled through the night and came up with nothing. Instead, the decisive factor in our success is God's word and our humble reliance on it. I'm going to move us into the second heading. Jesus includes us in his mission. Verses 8 to 11. Jesus includes us in his mission. Uh, Peter um, surprises us, I think, with his response, right? I mean, up to this point, uh, he's seen Jesus do all sorts of miracles, uh, I assume, at least certainly with his mother-in-law, we saw in the earlier text. Uh, but there's something different when the miracle hits home, right? There's something different when you see miracles out there, and you still kind of think, I don't know, maybe not for me, I, don't, I, don't, I hear about Jesus being, you know, doing all this stuff. There's something different when the miracle comes, when Jesus comes for you. And we would expect, we would expect that Peter, for one thing, wouldn't actually be all that surprised and have that great of a reaction because he's seen Jesus do this before. But if he were to be uh, surprised and react in some way, we wouldn't expect to see what we see here. I would expect something like 
uh, like this. Oh, wow. Thank you, Jesus. Now I got profit. I mean, look at all the fish. Now we thought we wasted our time. You made us profitable. Thank you. I mean, you could come anytime you want into my workplace. This is great. You might expect something like that. You might expect him to say, uh, oh my gosh, now I see that you're the Lord's anointed. I want to follow you wherever you go. We don't see either of these things really, you guys. What we see initially is this. It's surprising. He says, depart from me. Get away from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. I mean, he's struck by the glory of this. It doesn't matter to him if this, this, this uh, power of Christ was used for his good or not. It's still a frightening and trembling thing when you're in God's presence. And we often forget that. We know that there's something alluring, that there is something uh, winsome, there's something beautiful, there's something gracious and merciful about Christ. But we often forget that there is something altogether uh, 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 trembling, altogether uh, terrifying about him. Uh, meaning, he has more raw authority and power than we could even imagine. And when he just kind of flexes a little bit of it, when he just kind of shows us his forearm, just a little bit, we're just like, no way. Even if you're my friend, this is scary. You remember the book of Revelation, how John, the one who's called like the beloved disciple, when Jesus shows up to him in glory, what does he do? He says he falls down at his feet as though dead. Just down. So while I said Peter's response to uh, Christ here is surprising at first, it's actually not all that surprising. It's actually consistent with uh, what we see in the rest of scriptures when men come face to face with the glory of God. They just fall. They don't say, cool, thanks Jesus for the fish. I'll see you next week. You know, high five, bump, we're out. They fall down. Get get away from me before I perish. I am unclean. Woe is me. Let me um, ask you, when when was the last time that you, you fell under deep conviction of sin? When was the last time that uh, you felt like this? Like, I, I just want to get down in Jesus' presence because I don't belong here. Now, hang with me. There's some nuance to this. If you have questions, you can ask me afterwards. But um, we might think that we're the better uh, for it if we haven't experienced it in a while. Like, I haven't fallen like that. I haven't said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Because I've been doing great. I've been doing good. We might think that it's an indication of um, how, 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 how great we've been doing with the Lord. That we, I can't remember the last time I fell under conviction for my sin before him in his presence. But I'll tell you, it might, it might be an indication that we're actually the worse off for it. I wonder if you know what I mean by that. Um, we probably have this notion that uh, the Christian life, we kind of, 
start with conviction. We start with kind of getting down on our face like that. And we kind of move on. We grow. I'm telling you, I think that a lot of the Christian life is actually pressing in deeper to that place of conviction, to that place of, wow, I don't belong here. Like, the closer you get to the light, does it not actually show you even more of your dirt? In other words, if I'm feeling super clean, it's possible I'm not as close to the light as I should be. Because you guys, I know for sure, um, even my righteous deeds are shot through with sin. And, 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 and there are, there are corruptions and motivations in me that are off. And so if I'm just walking feeling great all the time, I'm actually a little concerned, like maybe I'm not in His presence like I need to be. Because what I see is when that light comes on, when you draw closer to the light, uh, yes, you see more of His glory and you see more of His grace and you see all that. You also see, but I don't belong here. Woe is me. You know? So let me um, move us move us forward because th- though we are often kind of afraid of the thought of falling under conviction, I actually don't want us to be afraid of it. I want us to pursue, uh, not in a, in a kind of nasal or navel gazing sort of nasal gazing, <laughs> not in a navel gazing sort of way, but I do want us to pursue God. I mean, show me my heart. What's that psalm where, where Jesus is, or I'm sorry, David is saying, listen, like search me and know me. Like what's going on in my heart? I want to know there. I don't want us to be afraid of falling under conviction. And when God kind of opens our eyes to it, when he makes us sensitive to the, the indwelling sin, it still uh, prevails in us sometimes. Because uh, here's what I see, at least. Actually, we should be rejoicing that we've been given eyes to see it. And, and we should brace ourselves. Because when God takes us to that place of conviction and puts us on our face in his presence, he's actually not preparing to destroy you, believe it or not. He's preparing for, to just unleash a tidal wave of grace upon you. He's preparing to start building you back up and making you into something more beautiful than you thought you could be at first. And this is what we see in our text, is it not? Because uh, one might think that Peter is at the end now. This is the end for Peter. I mean, he just said, get away! I'm a sinner! Perhaps he's responding to his thoughts as a fisherman going... (laughs) We toiled all night, Jesus. And he's like, here's a place of repentance for him. Like, I'm not worthy of whatever you're doing. (laughs) But what does Jesus say to him? Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. In other words, what, what we might have thought was Peter's end is actually Peter's beginning. It's actually Peter's beginning. Before God can begin to make anything of you or me, he has to bring us to the end of ourselves. You understand this? He has to bring us to the place of, I don't belong here. I, I am a sinner in need of grace. I, I, I can't be used for anything. I can't even be in your presence. He's got to bring us to that place. Then he can work with that. He can work with that, so long as Peter thinks of himself as, as an asset to the kingdom of God, he's truly a liability. 
or a counselor to Jesus. He's truly a liability. But once Peter feels undone, he's ready to be remade. From now on, you will be catching men. God lowers and then he lifts. God breaks and then he builds. God confounds or crushes and then he calls. That's the movement, not just here, but anybody God's ever used in the scriptures. That's their story. He intrudes on our vocation so that he can include us in his mission. I don't know all I thought. I knew. I need you not just uh, for salvation of my soul, not just for my work, but even just to breathe. I need you every moment. I need you. He can work with that. Now, there is um, there's something healing in all of this for those of us who are prone to wrap our identities all up in our vocations or our work. Um, I love what Jesus is doing. He's redefining work here. He's, he's reorienting Peter's work in light of, of himself and, and his relationship to Christ. Um, I was talking with my dad about, about men. And um, my dad kind of does some stuff with men's ministry, actually in the Catholic Church. And we were talking about men, and we are talking about how, as guys, we have kind of like the same wounds that, that women do. Uh, we have the same kind of hurts in our heart and things. But we often feel like we can't uh, talk about it. Like there's no real safe expression for it. Like girls, they get to go out to coffee, break out the tissues, put arms around one another. It's awesome. Guys, a lot of times we feel like, nope, I'm fine, man. How'd you see the warriors? Whatever. We bite, we bite our, our upper lip or whatever it is, and we just, we just roll on. We just hold it in. But the problems don't go away. They actually just evidence themselves in other ways. One of the ways that they evidence themselves in how we kind of view our work. How we view our vocations to become our identities. Consider the, the, the guy who, uh, his dad, you know, um, never validated him. Or, or, or always kind of tore into him. So that, that he grew up feeling, I, I'm never enough. I can never uh, make him happy. Well, that translates, that wound, that deep heart wound, translates uh, into the workplace for this, this brother. Right? He's not going to call his friends together and tell them about it because they're just going to say, quit being a baby. Grow up, be a man. So instead, okay, I've got to prove that I'm worth something. I've got to prove to my dad, to myself, to whoever I'm worth something. So then what you see is, is work becomes identity. Vocation becomes identity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to succeed. I'm going to climb every ladder. I'm going to get the money, whatever it is. And then I'll be able to say, I've arrived. But it never works. It's never enough because the wound is somewhere deeper. And that's where Jesus is going. I'm not saying necessarily that Peter's here, but this is where men can be with our work. We can wrap our identities all up in it. And Jesus comes in in this moment. He says, listen, listen. Take your work. Take your identity. Take all that you put your hands to and, and bring it, bring it into me. Bring it into me. Wrap it up into me. I know you're a sinner. More than you even know. I know you're a failure. I know you're not going to be able to do everything. But guess what? 
I love you anyways. I have come to die for you so that I can remake you. I can heal you. I can take brokenness and make it whole again. I don't need you to produce for me or perform. I'm coming in when you're feeling the lowest here. And I actually bring you low so I could start to help you get this. I love you even there. Do not be afraid. You will be catching men. You will be catching men. Now, I want to think about um, this, what Jesus does here with this idea of catching men for a moment. Uh, if you're worried, we're, we're, we're going to be uh, wrapping things up here pretty quickly. But think with me about this. I love what he's doing. He's taking broken people. He's he's including them in his mission of seeking and saving the lost. But he uses the language of Peter's vocation to kind of uh, uh, connect Peter to Jesus' larger mission. Do you catch that? He's using the language, the work that Peter is familiar with, to connect him to work he has no idea about. That's why he says, listen, you know how to catch fish. I'm calling you now to start catching men. We're going to start doing kingdom work. Now, think with me um, about this. These these men, uh, in our story at least, they actually kind of move from catching fish to catching men quite literally. They actually change careers, at least for a while, and essentially uh, in the end it seems for good. Uh, they leave their job and they go after Christ. But for some of us, I want you to, I want you to see how this might relate to you. It might not mean, it, it might mean you're called to the mission field. And you gotta sign your two weeks and put it in and, 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 and go. But a lot of times I think what this text might mean for us is not so much that we have a job change but that we have a heart change. That we actually start to go into our same old job, same old workplace, same old vocation, but now with a new perspective, with a new mission. We, we, because Jesus intruded on our vocation and, and spoke to us there, now we realize, wait a minute, I've been included in his mission. And wherever I am, whether I'm a fisherman, whether I'm a businessman, engineer, or a mother, or a house, whatever it is, I'm a part of this greater mission. Catching men, or however you want to put it. We're, We're talking about God using broken people to reach broken people for him. Catching men just means I'm going into the depths. We're pulling them up from sin and, and sorrow. We're connecting them to Christ and his kingdom of grace. And so we don't go into the office the same way. Or to the crib, for that matter. This child is not just, you know, your little prodigy that you're developing. It, it's a, it's, in a sense, it's a fish for the kingdom. And you're working, you're caring for them, leading them to Jesus. Same thing in your work. These people aren't just cogs in a machine, a well-oiled machine that is your workplace. They're fish that Jesus is saying, keep your eyes open, be ready. There's a, there's a mission that runs underneath our vocation and he calls us into it. kind of transfigures all that we put our hands to do. Now, what we see in um, our text is that <laughs> these guys in verse 11, I mean, they're just, they are like immediately over fish. 
It's amazing. I love how this story ends. Because let me tell you something. If up to this point you've been thinking, as we read this text, and you think, you think, I love this story. I mean, look at this. Jesus comes and he comes to make these guys rich. He comes into their workplace and gives them abundant, overwhelming, more profit than they could ever have imagined. I, every day is take Jesus to work day for me. This sounds good. If that's where we, we stop, that Jesus can kind of, you know, help our bottom line, we miss it. We miss it entirely. And we forgot to read verse 11. <laughs> what do we see? When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What began all about fish and probably grumbling on the side, gosh, we labored all night, we got nothing, ends up all about Jesus. I mean, they don't care. They don't care about the fish anymore. It's not about the bottom line anymore. They found Christ. One commentator says this, they left the greatest catch they had ever seen in all their lives. That catch was not as important as what it showed them about Jesus. So they followed him. Just let the fish stink and rot on the shore because we found the Savior. And if you have the Savior, you have everything you need. He just he came into their, their vocation. He intruded on it and he changed everything for them. It would never be the same In the end, the only way Jesus will cause blessing to flow as far as the curse is found is by becoming a curse for us. Am I right? We're Christians. I mean, we got crosses, center stage, around our necks, whatever, because it's all about the cross. And as these disciples follow these fishermen follow christ they will follow him all the way to the cross we're the one we're the one who 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 filled their nets with fish will himself be caught in a net laid out by wicked men he will willingly go into the net, willingly take that on and what we understand is that he's if he's going to touch Everywhere the curse is gone, he's going to become the curse for us. So there on the cross, he hangs. And on the third day, it would all become clear. Here's how Jesus is able to draw near to sinful men instead of depart from them. He's going to die for them. I mean, they sh- Peter should have just died in his presence right there. This is how sinful men are actually drawn near instead of God just running away. Here's how Jesus is able to take broken men and make them fruitful. You hear me, you hear me today, and I hope you haven't heard, hey, you gotta be ready for the kingdom. No, you don't. You're broken. You get low, and then Jesus works with you. Well, how does he do that? He takes sinners, he loves sinners right where they're at because he knows he's gonna die for them. He's going to the cross for us and he's going to rise for us so that he can remake us, make us fruitful. And where thorns and thistles once were, because those thorns and thistles were pressed into his neck 
or his temples, now fruit's going to start coming up from our hearts and perhaps even in our lives and our fishing nets and our jobs. So I would encourage you guys, let him intrude uh, on your vocation, whatever it might be. Keep an open ear. Beg him for his word. He's the only only one who's going to make you effective. Make effective the labor of your hands. Let him intrude and let him include you in his mission in it. Don't go to the office the same way on Monday. Go, where are the fish? Where are the people you're calling into your kingdom? I'm here for a deeper purpose than just putting money in my wallet or whatever. Let him be the treasure of your heart and all that you do. Let's pray, guys. God, thank you. Thank you that your blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Thank you that you would go to the cross for me. You would take the thorns, the thistles for me. That you would mingle your blood with sweat for me. So that new life new possibility could come forth. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray.